So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read from verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently plead with us for the privilege of sharing in this service for the Lord's peop- to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, uh, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to testify, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I'm not actually going to be preaching on that passage. This is the passage I'm going to preach on. Um, uh, we're going to get to uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7 in a few moments. But um, uh, one, 2 Corinthians 8 is kind of a helpful background, as well as Psalm 112. A well-known preacher and writer tells the true story of an elderly woman he knew who spent uh, very little money. Uh, So when she died, everyone thought she was penniless. But when friends went to sort out a little rented flat, they discovered in cupboards and drawers uh, envelopes filled with banknotes. Banknotes that were designated for various missionaries that she was supporting. It would seem that not unlike the widow... Jesus referred to in Luke 21, this woman, after paying the rent and buying the basics she needed to live on, uh, gave away pretty much everything she had in support of the work of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, This afternoon we begin a short series entitled uh, Money Matters. Uh, I'm I'm going to start this three part series uh, um, and then Glenn, our assistant minister, is going to finish, finish it off. He's going to do the other two talks in this little series. And today I want to briefly look at the whole area of giving with respect to our financial resources. It has been said that how a believer handles the stewardship of his or her finances and possessions communicates much about his or her spiritual condition. Someone who sees the pattern of your spending can fairly well discern the moral direction of your life. That's what John MacArthur, a well-known American preacher, has said. In Luke chapter 19, the reality of God's salvation or rescue coming to Zacchaeus' house was seen in the fact that he became eager to part with his money and was even cheerful in doing so for the glory of God and for the good of those around him. Arguably, how we spend our money 
is fundamental to our growth and maturity as Christian men and women or boys and girls. The 16th century church reformer Martin Luther said, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. Over the last nine years, I think that we've been greatly blessed at Grace Church Brockley by the generosity of the giving of our church partners. And yes, it is true, isn't it, that some people almost need a kind of second conversion experience in which they come to see that Jesus is Lord over their wallets before they will begin to give to support properly authentic gospel Christian ministry. But sadly, some Christians literally stop at nothing when it comes to giving financially. And a church like Gracious Brockley can fall into two equal and opposite errors when it comes to money. Either we always talk about money, and some of us may have experienced churches like that, that are always talking about money. Or, we never talk about money for fear of people getting the wrong impression about us. Which also can be a real problem. I suspect that uh, what is needed is something in between these two extremes. Since our attitude to money is a spiritual and not simply a fiscal matter. Uh, this is compounded uh, by the fact that Christian ministers like myself are often reluctant to talk about money because obviously we have a vested interest. Uh, by the way, uh, since we started, we're planted in April 2012, as a church, we don't receive any external sources of income whether from Grace Church Dulwich, the church that we were planted from, trust funds, or wealthy Christians, or elsewhere. As a church, we're only able to do the things that we do because the gospel partners or members of Grace Church Rockley give regularly in support of all that goes on at Grace Church Brockley. Uh, sometimes talking to Christians over the years, uh, that isn't always clear. Um, some people think that money comes from somewhere else other than Gracious Broccoli um, or a local church. No, all the, that we're able to do comes from those who regularly attend and benefit from the ministry giving in support of what goes on. Another well-known preacher relates the occasion when he was... Uh, literally told by someone in his church that God will keep you humble and we will keep you poor. Biblically speaking, this betrays a low view of the role of a Christian minister. The New Testament is clear that a minister of the gospel should be paid such that he is not constantly worrying about money. 1 Timothy 5 verses 17 and 18, if you're taking notes. But the New Testament is also clear that a minister of the gospel should not be a lover of money, nor a pursuer of dishonest gain. 1 Timothy 3 verse 3, Titus 1 verse 7, and 1 Peter 5 verse 2. 
Sadly, some of you may have experienced churches where the ministers or minister is lacking in this area. And I'm sorry about that. Uh, And can I also say that if you ever want to know about how money is spent at Grace Church Broccoli, uh, Kobe Sarpong, our treasurer, where's Kobe? He's not here. I think he's through Children's Church. Um, uh, Or one of the elders. No, Kobe is there. Wave, Kobe. Kobe's our treasurer. And he or one of our elders, most of whom are trustees, would be happy to go through with you how we spend our money here at Grace Church Broccoli. Now, there is nothing wrong or intrinsically evil about money per se. More often than not, it is our, that is both mine and yours, attitude towards money that you and I need to guard against. Uh, One writer put it this way, if every professing Christian would tithe, every congregation would be free of financial worries and could begin to truly be the salt of the earth. Uh, For this reason, it is a good thing that we are going to be looking at money and our attitude towards money over the next three Sundays, including today. For many of us, this comes down to the question of tithing. Uh, The word tithe means a tenth in Old English, as well as in the language of the Old and the New Testament. Uh, To understand what the Bible says about tithing, we have to begin in the Old Testament. So let's first start with what the Old Testament says about tithing. What the Old Testament says about tithing. The first thing to say about tithing is that it did not originate with Moses and the giving of the law as many New Testament Christians think. In fact, tithing was practiced by other ancient people and not just the Israelites. You may remember that in Genesis chapter 14, roughly 400 years before the law was introduced, Abraham paid a tithe to a priest named Melchizedek. And and by the way, this is the first hint we get in the Old Testament of the New Testament teaching that those who preach the gospel, as it were, should receive their living from the gospel. But notice that it would seem that this was a one-off gift given by Abraham voluntarily as a mark of his commitment and gratitude to the Lord for giving him victory in the battle to rescue his nephew Lot. That's Genesis chapter 14. Later, in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob tried to bribe God by offering to give him a tenth of all he had in exchange for safe passage, food and clothing. But again, it is noteworthy that Jacob freely offers this gift. He was not constrained by law to do so, even if his motives were not completely pure. Uh, Later, in the time of Joseph, because of the famine, you may remember, uh, that was to come upon the land, the people were taxed such that 20% of the produce of the land over a seven-year period was stored away in preparation for seven years of famine. Genesis chapter 41. 
But this was required giving. The people had no choice. It was not voluntary. As we get to the time of Moses, we discover the same principle at work. There were times when the people were required to give by law, and there were other times when their giving was voluntary. If you read Numbers 18, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 12 and chapter 14, you discover that the people of God were actually required to tithe on two, if not three, separate occasions. One of these tithes was to support the work of the priests, incidentally, who worked in the temple. Now, this is not including a profit-sharing tax, which meant that they were not allowed to harvest their crops right up to the corners or the edge of their fields or retrieve fruit that fell while they were picking them so that the poor, like Ruth from the book of that name, so they could share in some of the produce of the land. In addition to this was a temple tax that needed to be paid annually for the upkeep of the temple. Exodus 30 verses 13 to 16 and 2 Chronicles 24 verse 5. There was this temple tax for the upkeep of the temple. Where am I going with all this? Well, here's the point. In case you drifted off. Here's the point. An unconverted Jew in the Old Testament, in the time of Moses and after the time of Moses, was required to give away roughly 25% of his income. And that was not including acts of voluntary giving. Uh, so, for example, in Exodus 35, uh, Moses says to the people, chapter, five, chapter 35, verse 5, From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, etc. Then jump down to verse 21 of chapter 35 of Exodus. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of a tent of meeting, for its service and for the sacred garments. Uh, Exodus 35 verse 5 and verse 21. In fact, if you read on into Exodus 36, you discover that the people were so generous and free in their voluntary giving to the work of building the tabernacle that they gave in excess of what was required by Moses. Imagine what could be achieved today here in the UK, if this were true of every church across our land. I'm not necessarily talking about Gracious Broccoli, but you get the drift. Imagine. So that's a brief summary of tithing in the Old Testament. Let's now come to what the New Testament says about tithing. Well, we discover a similar pattern of giving demonstrated in the, in the New Testament. There were two kinds of giving, required or involuntary giving and non-required or voluntary giving. In other words, the Mosaic law was still, if you like, in operation in the first century when Jesus walked this earth. Hence, the woman putting her gift into the temple's treasury in Luke 21 and verse 2. And of course, 
um, there are references to tithing in Matthew 23, verse 23, as well as Luke 18, verse 12. In addition to this, uh, the Jews, uh, being on the Roman occupation, had to pay taxes to Caesar, the governing authorities. So despite the charges brought against him, at his trial, Jesus would not have condoned not paying your taxes. In fact, in Matthew 17, Jesus even paid the temple tax. It's worth reading the account in Matthew 17. Governing authorities, whether we agree with their policies or not, and there's quite a bit of controversy at the moment surrounding Matt Hancock, if you've been listening to the news, we won't go into that, um, but they've been established uh, by the sovereign purposes of God. Hard to believe, I know, but that's what the Bible says. So we should pay our taxes. Taxes are part of our required giving. We call it council tax today, but when it was introduced again in the late 1980s, it was called the poll tax and was very unpopular as Margaret Thatcher brought it back in again. And someone graffitied on a wall near where I grew up in Hackney uh, these words, don't panic, don't pay. Of course, this is not an option for the Christian who wants to honour God and respect the governing authority that he's put in place in keeping with Romans chapter 13. Christians should pay their taxes, whether we like it or not. Our tax laws here in the UK are notoriously complicated. The line between tax evasion and tax avoidance is quite thin, isn't it? Nevertheless, paying our taxes come under required giving. So we now come to our giving and the new covenant. Our giving and the new covenant. Here's an important point to, again, note if you drifted off. As we survey the rest of the New Testament, we discover that there is no command to Christian believers under the new covenant to voluntarily give 10% of their income away. Let me say that again. As we survey the rest of the New Testament, we discover that there is no command for Christians like you and I to give 10% of our income away to the church. The New Covenant principle on giving, which we as New Testament Christians should live by, assumes that our giving will flow naturally from a heart transformed by the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, will be determined on a personal level according to God's grace and our personal circumstances. That is the teaching of the New Testament. Nowhere are you commanded to give a tithe in the New Testament. You will search in vain in the New Testament that says you must give a tithe, a tenth. And perhaps the best summary of what this New Testament giving should look like comes in 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 and 7. That's on page 1165 of your church Bibles. Please turn with it. Uh, Let's turn to it with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6. Well, I'll read down to 
verse 9, and verse 9 contains a quote from Psalm 112 that Ruth read for us earlier on. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. See, the Corinthians were a wealthy church who were the first to give funds to help the poor and persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. Chapter 8, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians. They had promised Paul they would give more. In fact, the willingness of the Corinthians to give had stirred up the Macedonian churches into action. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 2. And according to 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 10, despite very real hardship, the Macedonian churches' desire to give had overtaken the Corinthians. Indeed, their desire to give is described in quite extraordinary terms in verses 2 to 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul writes to the Corinthians, urging them to excel, not just in sharing the good news of Jesus, not just in their Bible teaching, not even in their loving of one another, but also in this all-important gift of giving financially. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7. But according to chapter 8, verse 8, Paul is not commanding them to give. Did you notice that? In chapter 8, verse 8, Paul writes, I am not, Corinthians, commanding you. So what exactly did that mean for the Corinthians? And what does it mean for you and me? We're not commanded to give away our money. What are the characteristics of Christian giving, therefore? Well, Paul highlights four things that I want to share briefly. First, Christian giving should be done generously. Chapter 9, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, God demonstrates his generosity to undeserving sinners like me and like you. Uh, chapter 8 verse 9 touches on the generosity of Jesus in giving up so much that we might become rich through his poverty. So if we need to debate whether we give a tenth of our net or our gross income, or if we legalistically stick to a tenth, no more and no less, it might be because we err on the side of not being generous. See, the love of Christ is nothing else, if nothing else, compels us to want to be generous because of a generosity we've experienced in the death of Jesus for us personally. I hope you know that. I hope you feel that to some degree personally and individually. Christ gave up so much for you. This implies that our giving should have a sacrificial element to it. 
We should feel the difference, if you like. We should have to give up something in order to be generous. I wonder, is that your experience? What are you giving up? What are you going without because of your generous giving? It's worth raising the question, isn't it, and thinking about it. But second, Christian giving should be done freely. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Instead of saying you must give a tenth, the New Testament says you and I are free. Isn't that wonderful? We're free to decide how much we should give. The attitude of our hearts is just as important, if not more, than the size of our gift, than the size of our giving. It is noteworthy that Abraham felt compelled to give a tenth to Melchizedek. We are not told why or how he knew to give a tenth, but the fact is he gave a tenth. That is significant because we know that Abraham saw the gospel, had the gospel preached to him in advance. Galatians 3 verse 8. He was, if you like, a New Testament Christian living in the Old Testament era. For that reason, I think that as New Testament Christians, 10% of your income is a good benchmark. I'm not saying you have to give it to I'm just saying it's a good, it's a helpful benchmark. Having said that, what that might mean in practice is that some people here at Grace Church Broccoli need to try and work towards giving a tenth. While others might need to start by giving a tenth with a view to giving more than a tenth. For some of us, a tenth will perhaps be too much, while for others, well, it might be too little. But it's up to you to decide. That's none of my business. But let me be clear. I think in this matter there is freedom according to the teaching of the New Testament. Each person or family should decide in their heart what to give and then give it freely. No one should feel bullied into giving what they don't feel free to give. Which brings me to the next point. Third, Christian giving should be done willingly. Christian giving should be done willingly, freely, willingly. Uh, Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 12. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. And chapter 9, verse 7. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you give 20% of your income grudgingly to Grace Church Broccoli, such a gift is unacceptable in the eyes of the Lord. The new covenant that we share, and if we are Christians here this afternoon, is one in which our God has poured his love into our hearts by his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hearts and minds have been renewed, are being renewed, such that our wills are being brought into line with what God wants for us. If our hearts condemn us, then remember love is not just about what we feel, it is about what we do as well. And sometimes how we feel needs to catch up with 
what we do, doesn't it? If we're honest. It's an act of the will. Uh, Becoming more like Jesus should be our response of gratitude for all God in Christ has done for us. But, of course, spontaneous combustion does not always happen, does it? That is why we need the figure of a tithe to kind of help us as a kind of benchmark, I would suggest. Lastly, Christian giving should be done proportionately. Christian giving should be done generously, involve sacrifice. It should be free. It should be willing. And it should be proportionate. It should be based on what we have rather than on what we do not have. And we see that in chapter 8 and verse 12 of 2 Corinthians. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. The so-called Christian minister who encourages members of his congregation into debt in order to maintain his lavish lifestyle is not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. No matter how charismatic, no matter how white the teeth, no matter how nice the suit. Let's not be naive about that, brothers and sisters. It is for this reason that we don't want your money today if you are not a Christian believer. If anything, we want to give you something. We want you to have and receive the good news of a God who has demonstrated love for you by sending Jesus to die for you. Don't give us your money. Take Jesus instead. If you are a Christian and are simply visiting Gracious Broccoli uh, today and would like to give, uh, we uh, have a box. I don't think it's there today, but we should uh, have a box on the table, or we normally would have a box on the table um, that you can give, which we check regularly. Feel free to use it if you would like to. But it was never Paul's desire for people to give way beyond their means. Rather, he wanted equality to exist amongst God's people. And you see that in chapter 8, verses 13 to 15 of 2 Corinthians. He wanted those with plenty to seek to help those who are less well off. Because we're all part of one big family, if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're Christians. So in summary, Christian giving should be done generously, involving sacrifice, freely, willingly, and in proportion to what you have. But as I close, what is the motivation for our new covenant giving? In case you missed it, what is our motivation for our new covenant giving? Well, 2 Corinthians (coughs) chapter 9 verse 7 says, God, because, see it, verse 7? Because God loves a cheerful giver. The end of verse 7. For God loves a cheerful giver. It's as simple as that. The grace of God is the thing that should motivate or stimulate us 
to cheerful biblical giving. This is really important and is clearly spelt out in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. The heart of our motivation. Please turn uh, to it with me. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. I've already alluded to it, but I want you to look at it. So have it in front of you. Having uh, urged the Corinthians to think about their giving, Paul says this, because, Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus Christ gave up the riches of heaven and became poor by becoming a human being. And he lived among us for over 30 years. It is no exaggeration to say this is a bit like you or me becoming a maggot while living in a container full of maggots. It's no exaggeration. Yet remarkably, Jesus humbled himself even further by being willing to die for my sins and your sins on a cruel, shameful and humiliating Roman cross. All so that you and I could become rich in being able to relate to God as our Heavenly Father. Biblical giving should spring from a heart transformed by these incredible truths. And so it should long with an earnest desire to give generously, that is sacrificially, freely, Willingly and cheerful and cheerfully out of a out of a gratitude for all that God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian here today, we would want you to give for this reason alone and no other. Which is why we would prefer if you did not give if you're not a Christian but rather took this gift that God offers you in the Lord Jesus Christ instead. For those of us who are Christians, when God sees the giving I've been describing, he loves it and by implication rewards it. John Bunyan, the writer of the popular book Pilgrim's Progress, sums it up like this. There was a man, Some said he was mad. The more he gave, the more he had. There was a man. Some said he was mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Here's the thing. That has been the experience of many, many Christians. Somehow, in God's great economy... He's able to make whatever we have left over after giving go further than the 100% we would have if we were tempted not to give. It's a mystery. PayPal, a way of giving. (laughs) That seems to be what the chapter 8 verse 9 is saying. 
God is able to make all grace abound to those who would but trust him in this matter of giving. As it is written, chapter 9, verse 9, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Let's pray. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there are many of us here today who are rich, spiritually speaking, because of the Lord Jesus. And forgive us, Lord, when we don't always appreciate just how wealthy we are, spiritually speaking. When there's a world of poverty outside, at least spiritually speaking. So we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his death for us. That he was willing to impoverish himself so that we may become rich. And I pray for anyone here who wouldn't yet call themselves a Christian. Who perhaps haven't made that commitment for whatever reason. That they wouldn't want to give money, but they would want to take this gift that you offer each and every one of us. The gift of life eternal. The gift of friendship and relationship with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness. And we pray that as a result of your generosity to us, that we would be Christians whose lives are marked by generosity. That we would recognize that all that we have comes from you. And so when we give, all we're doing is giving back to you what already belongs to you. Uh, may that be our attitude towards our resources that you've given us, including our finances. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus.